When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Up front next, the breaking news, the special counsel Jack Smith demanding a new trial date for Trump in the classified documents case, trying to make sure the case goes to trial before the election. Could Trump be convicted before November? Plus a Texas duel, Biden and Trump both on the border, speaking minutes apart. Trump stoking fears, Biden saying let's work together. Who is the winning message? A new picture tonight of the 33-year-old American ballerina being held in Russia on treason charges. Court today rejecting her appeal. I'll speak to her boyfriend who has just received a letter from her. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. The Justice Department's new push to try Trump before the election. Just moments ago, the special counsel Jack Smith filing a motion to start his classified documents case against Trump on July 8th. Now that could mean a trial and a verdict before election day. Basically, it appears that Smith wants to move forward with the documents case as quickly as possible after suffering a major setback from the Supreme Court on his January 6th case against Trump. Trump, his team is, you know, for their part, using now their time-tested strategy of delay, delay, delay. They've just filed a motion just moments ago, and it reads, in part, a fair trial cannot be held until after the 2024 presidential election is concluded. That is the entirety of Trump's strategy in these cases, push everything until after the election. That way, if he wins in November, he can appoint an attorney general who can toss these federal cases out. Evan Perez is out front live in Washington. So Evan, what does this new move by Jack Smith mean for Trump? Well, Aaron, what you're seeing is prosecutors trying to find a way to box out the, pres- the former president and his legal team, because as you, as you noted, uh, what they're trying to do is delay this to the point where it makes it impossible for Tanya Chutkin and the D.C. trial to find room on the calendar. They know that obviously, given the fact that, this, uh, that the, that the uh, immunity question is now before the Supreme Court, we anticipate that what they're going to do is look for something that will make sure that that the D.C. judge doesn't have room on the calendar between now and November to schedule a new trial. And so what Jack Smith is doing here in making this request is trying to at least have the judge in uh, in uh, in Florida 
put a put on the calendar a date of of July 8th. Now we don't know whether she'll go for this. Uh, there are a lot of complicated issues because this has to do with classified information. <coughs> Eileen Cannon, the, the judge there, has uh, pretty much been uh, been helpful with the, the, the former president and his legal yeah. strategy. So we don't know where she is going to go. But you also see this uh, in, in another ruling, in another filing today from the special counsel. One of the things that they raised in, uh, in a filing today, uh, Aaron, is that they want to ask jurors uh, about whether they believe the 2020 election was stolen. Uh, it's something that obviously the Trump team is opposing, but that's an interesting thing for them to bring up. This, of course, is a case now being going to be heard in Fort right. Pierce, which is the, the, the Trumpiest part of the Southern, Southern District of Florida. That's where the judge overseeing this case, Eileen Cannon, that's where she sits. So you can see the legal maneuvering that is going on between the special counsel and the Trump team. Some of this, of course, is going to come to a head tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, uh, Aaron, when the two sides are before Judge Cannon uh, for a hearing that's going to go all day. All right, Evan, thank you very much. I'll take Thanks. a bet that the uh, DOJ is looking at the exit polls uh, we've seen in each of the states, right? And when you look at how people are voting and do you believe the election is stolen, the numbers have been absolutely stunning uh, among voters coming out uh, of voters uh, saying that they, they believe it was stolen. All right, out front now, Ryan Goodman, our outfront legal expert, and Ben Ginsburg, longtime Republican election lawyer. So, Ryan, uh, you know, you, you've been talking about Trump's legal calendar here day in and day out as each machination has occurred. Can you lay out what it looks like if Jack Smith gets his way and gets this July 8th start? So if Jack Smith gets a July 8th start, we do probably get a verdict before the election. And so there are two routes. Mm -hmm. One is based on Jack Smith's own estimation. You'd probably get the end of trial around August 19th. Trump's estimation is it's going to take a longer a period of time for the trial so that you get a verdict and the end of trial around September 16th. But both of those are well before both the election. Both of those are well before the election. That's right. So that's why the July 8th and whether or not the Judge Cannon goes with the Justice Department is key to that outcome. So, Ben, it doesn't... I mean, do you think there's any coincidence that Smith makes this move a day after the Supreme Court said it would hear arguments on uh, Trump's immunity uh, while he's in office? Um, and they said you know, that they're going to take that up. And that means that likely will not get a verdict by Election Day in any scenario. It does mean that it means the Florida case is the one that can move forward uh, the quickest. I, I don't think it's an accident, but I think this hearing has long been scheduled for Friday. It was going to involve dates. It's significant he's moving it back to July 8th, just a week before the Republican convention. Oh, that's interesting and, and, and important to point out as well. All right, so, Ryan, here's the thing, though. Trump's doing his usual, right, he'll do it till after the election. But you actually think that he may be better off with an earlier trial in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. How come? How come? So kind of as Evan said, that this is a very Trump-friendly territory for him. And Fort I think, Pierce, what he, yeah. yeah, and it's a, basically it's an open and shut case as a legal matter. But I think what's going to, his best defense is jury notification that one of the jurors or more say, I'm not even going to convict this person, even though the law and the facts sh say I should. I think that he would actually stand a much better chance of that happening while he is the front runner or the nominee for the GOP before the election. Were he to lose the election, I think that jury notification option oh. goes down by a lot. And that's a significant point. People may not may not realize that the nullification issue could even be out there. So, Ben, Trump has repeatedly tried to argue that even having to be in a courtroom for a trial is election interference, right? He said that all these cases are election interference by the fact that they even exist. Here's just a couple of examples. 
I go to a lot of courthouses because of Biden, because they're using that for election interference. Instead of being in South Carolina and other states campaigning, I'm stuck here. It's an election interference case. Uh, nobody's ever seen anything like it in this country. It's a disgrace. Obviously, Ben, I should point out, you know, he, he, he was there by choice in that case. But multiple judges have rejected the claim, right, the point that he's making. Do you have any worries, though, Ben, of how it may look to voters the closer we get to Election Day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what Donald Trump has shown is that this can become a prime ingredient of his campaign, that he can play the victim. And there is a certain element that shows up in the polling that says people, even independent voters, are sympathetic to the fact that his political opponents are putting him on trial so close to the election. So this is a fraught moment, uh, really, for the way the campaign plays out, for the democracy generally. So, Ryan, do you think that Jack Smith at this point has accepted, I mean, I guess, you know, he's got to be realistic about it, that obviously that Mar-a-Lago is the only one that he could get a verdict in? given that the Supreme Court is going to hear the immunity issue, even presuming that they rule that he is not immune, uh, that, that he can be criminally charged, there's, there's no verdict in that coming in the January 6th case. I think he probably thinks it's a very low likelihood that there's a verdict mm -hmm. coming, so it's better to put the eggs in the Florida basket. <laughs> there's still a chance that he could get a verdict in January 6th, so that if that gets put back on the rails, but that's unlikely. And it, I think the only way in which it really happens is it gets handed back to him, green light to the trial court, and then he decides to slim down the case, not charge all of it, in order to get a much shorter tri trial period and a much shorter pretrial period. But that's a long shot bid. That's why I think he's going for Florida. I, I do want to ask you one other thing here and then get Ben's reaction, and that is just on what actually happened behind the scenes at the Supreme Court. Um, it, it doesn't seem, from a layperson's perspective, that if Jack Smith comes to you in December and says, hey, why don't you hear this immunity issue, so let's get it taken care of, Supreme mm -hmm. Court. Supreme Court goes, no, we'll send it to another court, implying let them decide. And then they decide, and the Supreme Court takes three weeks to decide whether it will weigh in or not. Uh, all this time passing that didn't need to pass, does it indicate some sort of real tension on the court? Oh, absolutely. I think that there must be internal dissent in the court. And that in a sense, Trump does have, in all likelihood, four justices that have said, OK, we'll take, we're actually going to take this case. We're not going to let it go back to the courts below. Mm -hmm. And that we're going to take it. And you can take two months to brief the case as well. So it doesn't seem as though they're in any major hurry, even though April, to some extent, is an expedited schedule for them. Right. It's not according to what this is all really right. about. Right. And I understand the, in the, in the way the court works, it is fair to point that out, right? That that is a fast move. But nonetheless, waiting the three weeks, Ben, uh, they could have decided in December. What do you think is happening on the court? It could have. Well, I think there's obviously some dissension in the court about how quickly to move on this. And it's important to put this in the big context. None of the silver bullets that have been shot at Donald Trump, whether it's impeachment or the Russiagate or now any of the prosecutions or the 14th Amendment case is likely to strike home before the election. So the fate of Donald Trump and his actions are now going to be judged by the voters. And in a, in a real sense, if you're looking at the institutional design of the democracy, that's where this should rest, with the voters. And so the Supreme Court, for whatever their reasons, has contributed to putting the verdict on Donald Trump at the ballot box as opposed to the courtroom.
Ryan, is it safe to say with this news that we have tonight, right, Trump trying to delay the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case till after the election, Jack Smith requesting a July 8th start date that would get him a verdict uh, by election day easily. It's the riskier path, given uh, that the rulings so far from that judge have obviously gone in Trump's favor and given the jury pool. It is risky, and it's also risky because the judge can administer the trial however she wants. There's a lot of discretion there. Not however, but a lot of discretion. Yes. There's even a little bit of a wild card. She could even issue a, a direct verdict after the prosecution presents their case and say there's no, not enough case here, and that's actually not reviewable. There's just many ways that's in which— That's not reviewable. It's, it's a, a very unusual in a certain sense. It's a surprise to some lawyers. It's not reviewable. So that's why some people have suggested she should have been recused because she shouldn't. This person should not have that much control, given how many times she seems to have favored uh, Donald Trump in uh, very unusual so ways. So wouldn't go to a jury, and there's no appeals process. Right. Wow, Ben, does that surprise you? <laughs> well, I mean, I knew this existed, but Ryan says it exactly right. It is it is a fraught strategy, um, which again is why that none of this is likely to come to pass before the election takes on such significance in the campaign. I mean, in a way, you've taken away the factor that Donald Trump has based his campaign on, which is he's a victim. So this is a different political reality we're all of a sudden going to need to deal with. All right. Well, Ben, Ryan, thank you both very much. And next, Biden and Trump facing off tonight over the border in Texas in the same place at the same time for the first time this election. And the difference between them was stark. They're coming from insane asylums, and they're terrorists. To pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. Plus a horrific scene in Gaza. More than 100 people dead, hundreds more injured after a deadly crush of people in line for food. What happened? And an outfront exclusive. I'll speak with Congressman Tom Swazi, who won one of the most closely watched elections, flipping George Santos's seat. What can Democrats learn from his victory? We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Tonight, Trump and Biden in their first direct face-off of the election on the issue that ranks number one for voters, immigration. And wow, it was two totally different universes today. Trump was talking about jails being emptied in South America and in Africa. They're coming from jails and they're coming from prisons and they're coming from mental institutions and they're coming from insane asylums and they're terrorists. They're being led into our, our country. 
that's just a little taste. There were 30 minutes of comments like those. And again and again and again, as he upped the ante, he blamed the crisis on Joe Biden. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. The United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of uh, vicious violation to our country. It's migrant crime. We call it Biden migrant crime. Meanwhile, Biden, who made his first trip to the border in more than a year, struck a totally different tone. Here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. Totally different universes. The bill, of course, that Biden is referring to never made it out of the Senate, blocked because Donald Trump thought it was bad for himself and Republicans politically. Rosa Flores is out front in Eagle Pass, Texas tonight. Eagle Pass resident Enriqueta Diaz couldn't be more pleased with the dueling border appearances from both President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. Yes. <laughs> That's your reaction? Yes. <laughs> she says she's voting for Trump this election <laughs> and hopes the former president's visit to her hometown sends a much needed message. Texas is very secure. Eagle Pass is where Texas Governor Greg Abbott deployed the controversial border buoys and took over a public park by putting up razor wire, guarding it with armed Texas National Guard soldiers and kicking out Border Patrol. It's the park Trump toured and where he was briefed by Texas authorities. The United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of a vicious violation to our country. It's migrant crime. Some Eagle Pass residents gathered in protest asking that Trump leave their town. I hate that you're going to spew today. You're not welcome in this community. Several hundred miles downriver, President Joe Biden in Brownsville today. Biden meeting with Border Patrol agents, law enforcement and local leaders as he pushes for a bipartisan immigration deal. It's time to step up, provide them with significantly more personnel and capability. We also need more immigration judges. The last time a Biden visited the Brownsville area, it was election season 2019. At the time, Jill Biden visited a migrant camp across the border in Matamoros, Mexico, as her husband promised humane border policies. Some in Brownsville took to the streets today to remind him of those promises. Biden's job on the border could get exponentially more complicated. The plaintiffs in a federal lawsuit are asking a judge to rule that migrant children and their families who have just crossed the border into Southern California and are waiting in makeshift camps to be transported for immigration processing are actually in federal custody. Attorney Neha Desai says the conditions are deplorable. Some migrant children have waited outside for days in the cold with no food. Children have had no choice but to take refuge in overflowing porta potties to sleep in tarps littered with trash, all to just avoid the freezing rain. CNN reached out to U.S. Customs and Border Protection for comment. Back in Eagle Pass, Diaz, the hardcore Trump supporter, Tell me how you really feel about it. <laughs> says that like Trump, Biden is also politicking on the border. I don't like his policies, but I respect them. It's an honor to have the President of the United States visit your community. 
I don't care what party you are. And the irony of all of this is that neither President Biden or former President Trump actually visited the busiest part of the border where the most migrant apprehensions are happening right now. That's actually happening in another state, in the state of Arizona. And Aaron, you saw a glimpse of this in our story, but this border battle between the United States and the state of Texas is really changing this community, the community where I am here in Eagle Pass, Texas. And I don't mean just physically with all the razor wire around the public park and the golf course, and you can hear a military helicopter right now behind me, perhaps. I mean the community, the people. It's dividing the people of this community along lines that were invisible before all of this started. Erin. Rosa, thank you very much. You have spent so much time reporting on this story for us. And now the Laredo, Texas mayor, Victor Trevino, he met with President Biden during his border visit today. Laredo, of course, sits between Eagle Pass and Brownsville, which is where Trump and Biden were. Uh, Mayor, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. So you had a chance to be with the president today. Did he say anything to you that gave you any hope that that there will be any relief, that he is planning any imminent executive action? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I think it was uh, his visit to Brownsville here on the border was very productive. Uh, it was an effort to get dialogue, solutions to problems, decades of problems of, uh, of, of border problems, border uh, situations, and border, border challenges. Now, one of the things that uh, is important as the, we as mayors, border mayors were present, is that we need to give the reality and the perspective of what we have here. We live and work here rather than, uh, than having perspective from other places. We also need to change the narrative because the only news uh, that we have, most of the news is that we're a war zone down here and it's not so. So Laredo, Texas is the major uh, port of the United States, the number one port with over $300 billion worth of merchandise coming in on a yearly basis. And we have to be cognizant of that. Also, the Laredo formula works. We are an area where the we have the least migrants crossings and it's one of the safest cities in the United States. And that is important to say in the context, of course, of what the former president is saying uh, about crime. Now, obviously, Trump was the reason the bipartisan congressional deal on the border did not pass in the Senate. Of course, uh, President Biden could take executive action. But nonetheless, uh, Trump uh, you know, really put the nail in the coffin on that bill. He was at the border today and he did say something else that I wanted to play again for you, Mayor. These are the people that are coming into our country. And they're coming from jails, and they're coming from prisons, and they're coming from mental institutions, and they're coming from insane asylums, and they're terrorists. They're being led into our, our country, and uh, it's horrible. Mayor, is this what you're seeing? Well, everybody has a right to an opinion, and uh, these are opinions uh, we have to have a ability to be cognizant of what the facts are. But uh, we don't see what he's saying. I mean, this, this is not the reality. We live and work here. I'm born and raised in Laredo all my life. And uh, I know that uh, this is uh, not, not, not the facts. So this is something that you have to be here and live here and work here to, not, to know and understand what, what goes on here. That was a message that we're giving President Biden. He needs to find out from us that 
live and work here in the border mayor and give me a perspective of that. Mayor Trevino, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. And Harry Enton joins me now to go beyond the numbers. So, Harry, you got Biden and Trump both at the border. Um, they're at the border because it is the number one issue, according to every poll, uh, yeah. to voters uh, by far. So this issue is being felt across the United States, though, right? It's not a Texas issue. It's not an Arizona issue, which no. is the, where the crossings are right now. No, it's not. You know, if you look at the immigration cases that are filed in immigration court, right, what you see is, look, it's up all over the place the, where the migrants are going. But what we're really seeing the increase is actually in the blue states, not just in the red states. You know, back in 2019 in Florida and Texas, the numbers there we're more than the numbers in California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, very blue states. But you jump forward to 2023, where have the increases really come from? Really come from the blue states. Look at that, 525,000 cases, new immigration court cases filed in those blue states versus just a little bit more than 400,000 in those red states. This is the major thing that has changed over the last four years, where this used to really be a border problem, it used to really yeah. be a red state problem, it's now gone beyond the border into a lot of northern states that aren't anywhere near the border, Aaron. It's incredible when you think about that, just by those numbers yeah. of known court, right, court cases, known cases, yes. 927,000 in one year. Think what that, the system simply can't handle that. Uh, as structured now, New York City, epicenter for the migrant crisis. Uh, we live here, we see it. Uh, the state had the most migrant arrivals per capita last year, one per every 100 people. So uh, that's 84,000 known uh, migrants that have come to New York City. Put that in perspective. Yeah, you know, put it in perspective. Look at New York City's budget, right? How much is Eric Adams' budget saying that we're going to spend on asylum seekers this year? $2.3 billion. More than the fire department? At this particular point, it looks like more than the fire department at $2.2 billion. So this, I think, is why you're seeing all those protests going on in New York City, especially in Staten Island. You're seeing these budget figures, and they line up with the way that people are feeling. Well, and I think that shows something right there. That crossed all party lines. You got it's going it. to be very hard-pressed to find anybody who's going to say that's the way it should be. All right, Harry, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And next, more than 100 people killed while waiting for aid in Gaza as Palestinian officials say the death toll there has now surpassed 30,000 people. Plus an Outfront exclusive, I'm going to speak with the Congressman Tom Swazi, who just flipped George Santos's seat. Can Democrats follow in his footsteps in November? Pay attention. Outdoor cleaning is hard work and time-consuming. Tonight, a horror in Gaza, at least 112 people reported killed, more than 700 more wounded, following a stampede at a food distribution site in northern Gaza. Eyewitnesses say the stampede was triggered after Israeli forces opened fire. The Israeli military disputes that, saying tanks fired warning shots to cautiously, they say, that's their word, disperse the crowd after seeing people trampled. It comes as the Palestinian Ministry of Health says the death toll in Gaza has surpassed 30,000 people. Jeremy Diamond is out front. I do warn our viewers in this piece, some of what you may see is disturbing. Around four in the morning, thousands of Palestinians are already camped out by the coastal road in western Gaza City. Humanitarian aid trucks are reportedly en route, a rarity in northern Gaza, where hundreds of thousands are now on the brink of famine. As the convoy passes an Israeli military checkpoint and enters Gaza City, hundreds desperate for food swarm the trucks, as seen in this drone video released by the Israeli military. Many climb onto the trucks, grabbing what they can, when suddenly... <laughs> the Israeli military opens fire, 
killing and wounding about 20 people in the crowd, according to local journalist Khader Al-Zanoun, who was on the scene. Pandemonium ensues. As people run away, eyewitnesses say the truck drivers speed off, killing dozens more people. The Palestinian Ministry of Health says at least 104 people were killed altogether and more than 700 injured. CNN is unable to independently confirm those numbers. The Israeli military acknowledges its troops shot people near the convoy, but says the gunfire was unrelated and came after people were already killed in a stampede. In a second event, in a short distance away, we also had a, a group of people that approached the military forces in a war zone. Um, the forces opened fire in the air to distance them, warning fire, in order to get people out of harm's way. Unfortunately, they proceeded to advance and indeed they're a perceived threat, um, and the forces open fire. Of course, I will say we're continuing to investigate, continuing to inquire in our after-actions activities. That account contradicted by eyewitnesses, who say Israeli gunfire triggered the mass panic. Our children die of hunger. They went to get a bag of flour in order to feed their children. Some were run over, others were shot, so they send us the aid so that the Israelis can keep shooting at our children. This is wrong. This is not right. This is not right. The latest victims killed on a day when the death toll in Gaza surpassed 30,000, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, a majority of whom are women and children. More may soon die of starvation, as the World Food Program warns that more than half a million Gazans are on the brink of famine. We are talking about a man-made a famine, because in, in, we, we have a kind of a total blockage for the people who are living in the north. There is not even enough of animal food, animal fodder, for people to eat or to do bread with animal fodder. That desperation brought Tamar Atta al-Shimbari to that coastal road early Thursday morning. He went to get a bit of bread, a bag of flour for his family, displaced at the schools in Jabalia camp. Now he lies dead, killed while trying to survive. And Aaron, the critical backdrop to all of this, of course, are those ongoing negotiations to secure a temporary ceasefire in Gaza. And make no mistake, that ceasefire clearly is more essential than ever in order to get that humanitarian aid into Gaza. It is because so few humanitarian aid trucks have been able to make their way into northern Gaza that we saw this situation unfold the way it did. But this incident today, as much as it highlights that need, it also could impact those negotiations. And President Biden tonight saying that he believes that it will complicate those negotiations going forward. Aaron. Jeremy, thank you very much. Live from Tel Aviv. And out front now, the Democratic Congressman Tom Suozzi of New York. This is his first national TV interview since he was sworn in to replace the disgraced Republican Congressman George Santos. Uh, Congressman, a lot to speak with you about tonight, and, and thank you so much for being here uh, in your, of course, home state. Um, you call yourself an unequivocal supporter of Israel. Obviously, that's a hard report to watch as we try to understand what happened. Uh, more than 100 people killed today at that humanitarian site, a guy going to get flour, and he's dead. Um, when you see that, does that give you pause uh, in support for what Israel's doing? Well, I'm going to always remain unequivocally supportive of Israel. Um, of course, you'd have to be inhuman to not see pictures like that and not be moved by it. There's tremendous suffering going on. Uh, 
I went to Israel in December uh, and went to Gaza, went to the Gaza envelope and saw the attacks on the kibbutzes. Mm -hmm. I saw so much carnage. It was just, it was awful. Um, I think everybody would love to see a ceasefire. Hamas should surrender their weapons, release the hostages, and we can try and talk about a path forward. We need to have some sort of negotiated settlement whereby we know that Hamas is disarmed. Hamas is not some loose confederation of desert soldiers. They are a sophisticated, disciplined terror army whose mission is to destroy Israel and kill Jews. That's it, their mission. So, you know, sources tell CNN, and, and I, I've heard from people who have, you know, seen this, President Biden's very frustrated with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and how he's choosing to handle this right now. He feels that Netanyahu's been ignoring him and obstructing humanitarian efforts um, in Gaza. And Biden has actually let some of that frustration, Congressman, show in public, uh, saying that the actions of uh, Israel are over the top, in his words, and he also said this. There are a lot of innocent people who are starving, a lot of innocent people who are in trouble and dying, and it's got to stop. Netanyahu so far does not appear to be heeding that. Is there more Biden needs to do? I think that the president is working really more behind the scenes uh, to try and build a coalition with the Sunni Arab states so that the Sunni Arab states and Israel and the Western world can work together as a bulwark against Iran uh, to not only rebuild Gaza, uh, but to prevent Iran from continuing its malicious activities uh, throughout the world, really, not just the region, but throughout the world. Uh, you know, this is, this is really hard stuff. It's painful. It's difficult. It's awful. Uh, but we can't forget that it was precipitated by going in and killing a bunch of innocent people in gruesome ways. And, uh, you know, Hamas, I, I did a bill back in 2018, a, a bipartisan bill with a guy named Mike Gallagher, who's now leaving Congress, unfortunately, a very talented Republican, yep. uh, called the Human Shields Act where Hamas literally uses civilians to protect their armaments, to protect their troops. Yeah. So, all right, you mentioned uh, Gallagher, and that leads me to the question here. Obviously, uh, you were you won and, 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 and flipped the district, uh, George Santos's district. Uh, other Democrats, and you've got people like Gallagher leaving, Ken Buck. You've got people who may be in vulnerable districts, uh, Republicans leaving, opening the possibility for Democrats to pick up seats in November. This issue that we're talking about, though, is front and center for a lot of Democrats, certainly in Michigan, and you see it in a lot of communities. People don't see the Israel issue the way that you're laying it out. Um, when you came in today and you gave your speech about coming into Congress, what do you say to other Democrats who want to try to flip those seats in the environment we're in right now? You have to talk to the people about what the people are concerned about. What are people concerned about? They're concerned about the chaos at the border. They're concerned about the cost of living. And they're concerned about the dysfunction that exists in Congress. A lot of the problems we have in our country uh, are not being addressed because all anybody does is yell and scream at each other. These are every issue we face is complicated. And you can't solve a complicated problem in an environment of fear and anger. You need people to sit down and talk to each other and try to find common ground. It can't be that everybody's just, you know, you're no good. No, you're no good. You know, a, a, a tweet, a speech, a press release. Yeah. You've got to build goodwill between people and try to work together to solve problems. Congressman Swazi, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And out front next, Putin makes some of his most alarming comments to date about using nuclear weapons. Today, actually warning of the destruction of civilization. Plus a new picture of the 33-year-old American who is now being held in Russia for allegedly donating $50 to a Ukrainian charity. 
Her boyfriend has just received a letter from her, and he joins me next. New tonight, Putin threatening nuclear war in his most specific and darkest remarks yet. They must ultimately understand that we also have weapons, and they know about it. Just as I said, we also have weapons that can hit targets on their territory. All of this really threatens conflict with the use of nuclear weapons, and therefore the destruction of civilization. Don't they understand this? The they, the West, as Putin ramps up those threats directed to the United States, as we are just getting in a new image of a 33-year-old American ballerina jailed on treason charges in Russia, the court rejecting her appeal today, she appeared by video. Ksenia Karolina traveled to Russia from Los Angeles to visit her family in January. Then she was detained for allegedly donating $51 to a Ukrainian charity when she was in the U.S., out front now, Ksenia's boyfriend, Chris Van Heerden. He was on the show last week after Russia first announced her arrest. And this is, I know, Chris, your first interview since her court hearing today. Uh, so you saw her, and I'm so sorry for what you're going through and what that must have felt like. Um, but you did see her today in this photo, appearing by video. Uh, she's behind bars. I know it's the first image you've seen of her since she was detained in January. What do you see here in her face? And, and uh, gosh, what even goes through your mind oh, looking man. at this, Chris? It's, it's, it's painful to see this, um, knowing who this woman is by heart. I see helpless. I see someone that's just crying for help, hopeless. Someone that's, that's afraid. That's what I see. I know that you were able to get another letter from Ksenia and that she was just now able to have a brief phone call with her mother. What is she telling you that you can share? Uh, in this letter, she just gives me more an idea of what a day looks like in her life right now because I've asked her to share that with me and she would just explain to me that she's got to be up at 6 a.m. in the morning, let her lights out. No, she's got to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, but they're not putting the lights out. So she has trouble sleeping. Um, she's explaining to me that she's an esthetician, full-time esthetician, so she takes care of herself. And messy eyebrows bothers her a lot. And so she's telling me in the letter that, you know, I got to take care of my eyebrows. So she's using a spoon to see her reflection and she's fixing her eyebrows with the spoon. Now to read this breaks my heart, but it still shows me that she's very strong-minded. It gives me a little bit of hope that she's still strong-minded. She also explains to me that they get to go outside once a day, but it's cold outside and they go to the roof. And But when you go outside, you got to stare at the wall and you're not allowed to make contact or speak to no one. Reading this is painful. Um, there's only cold water and she's an esthetician, so she's making a joke and she's telling me like, this is my dream because cold water is good for your face. Mm. But I'm like, she's, find, she's finding human all of this. And it just breaks my heart because if you know Ksenia, she's, she's alive. She's so much joy, so much happiness. It's just unbelievable. I, I know that, um, you know, the court extended the time she's going to be in custody now. So now it's at least April. She's awaiting a trial. And, of course, 
Chris, it's, it's painful to hear it, but you know the reality. We've seen this with other Americans jailed in Russia. I mean, Evan Gerskovich from mm. the Wall Street Journal, appeal after appeal just gets rejected, and he's been there now 11 months. Um, Ksenia was detained for allegedly donating $51 to a charity for Ukraine when she was in the U.S. I mean, what are you, what are you hearing from anyone, the U.S. State Department, anybody about— I'm, I'm in, Go ahead. I'm in contact with the U.S. State Department, and everyone is reassuring me that they are trying their very best to get closer to Ksenia. Still, still unsuccessful, but they're not giving up. Um, yeah, and then just listening to all of this, $51, like it's, it blows my mind. I think it blows anybody's mind. Well, I, I, I know that she is, I'm sure, if, if, if aware and so grateful for what you're doing here to try to make sure that the world understands what, what she's going through now. Yeah, we have a, we have a, we have a long battle ahead of us. Um, I, I know that. So I've created to go find me page for and just fighting for this call. Chris, thank you so much. Talk soon. Thank you. Chris Van Heerden. And next, we're going to take you to Iran, where a key official tells CNN that Tehran is now closer than ever to direct conflict with the United States. And Oprah Winfrey parting ways with Weight Watchers after revealing that she has lost a lot of pounds with weight loss drugs. Tonight, Iran saying it's closer than ever to direct conflict with the United States. And as Iranians prepare for their own elections tomorrow. They're keeping an eye on the U.S., telling our Fred Pleitkin, who is there, that a Trump presidency could make things worse. Fred Pleitkin is out front tonight in Tehran. As Israel continues its military campaign against Hamas in Gaza with casualties mounting, Iran warning the Israel-Hamas war risks leading to a direct confrontation between Tehran and Washington, the speaker of the Iranian parliament's foreign policy committee tells me. We think that if there will be no f finish for the, this war, it can go uh, in bigger uh, scale and it's, it can be harmful for everybody. United States is one of the parties who are in support of Israel. The U.S. accuses Iran of arming Hamas for years, aiding the group's attack against Israel on October 7th last year, killing more than a thousand Israelis and taking hundreds hostage. And for supporting the Houthis in Yemen, who are targeting international shipping in the Red Sea, allegedly to force an end to the Israel-Hamas war. But it was attacks by Iran-backed militias against U.S. bases in the Middle East, including one killing three U.S. service members on January 28th and the U.S.-U.K. military counterstrike in Iraq and Syria that brought the U.S. and Iranian tension to a new level. President Biden says the U.S. is not seeking conflict, but when Americans are harmed, he promises a response. Iran has its power to defend itself, but as I know that there will be no place for the uh, United States uh, forces to to be hide hidden in the to defending themselves. It's it will be no place for them to be stay in the Middle East. In Tehran, folks hope the calm music ahead of the Persian New Year won't give way to the drumbeat of yet more confrontation. Of course, when you speak to people on the streets here, they'll tell you the main concerns that they have are about the economy and also about inflation as well. But of course, there are also people who really fear that things could spiral out of control between the U.S. and Iran and possibly even lead to an armed conflict. Even here, confident tones. 
Not only the U.S. is afraid, but also Israel and neighboring countries, this man says. The U.S. does not have the courage to get close to Iran because of military concerns. But a fear of what might happen after the upcoming U.S. elections. Next year, the Trump is coming. Is everything going to be much worse than now? Yeah. How do you think it will be worse? Do you think it could be war? Um, no, I don't think the war is coming, but the economy is going to be um, awful. Yeah, it's going to be awful. Yeah. And Aaron, of course, Iranians remember all too well how confrontational the Trump years were. Trump pulling the U.S. out of the nuclear agreement, ordering the assassination of General Qasem Soleimani. The Iranians, for their part, shooting down a U.S. drone over the Persian Gulf. The Iranian leadership, however, says to them it really doesn't matter who the U.S. president is. They will continue to challenge the U.S. in the Middle East, Aaron. Fred, thank you. From Tehran. And finally tonight, Oprah Winfrey ditching Weight Watchers. Oprah announcing she is leaving the company's board after nearly a decade as its most prominent spokeswoman. Weight Watchers shares nosediving as a result, shares down as much as 25% in early trading. Oprah's lost a dramatic amount of weight, and she's admitted that a weight loss drug, she's not saying which one, but a weight loss drug helped her achieve this. She told People Magazine, quote, I'm absolutely done with shaming from other people and particularly myself. The admission revealing a change of heart for Oprah. She'd previously said taking weight loss drugs seemed like, quote, the easy way out. But she is emphasizing that it's not the only thing she is now doing. She says she's adhering to a strict diet and exercise regimen, eating her last meal at four in the afternoon and drinking a gallon of water a day. And with her exit, she's also letting go of her shares holdings in Weight Watchers, donating more than $6 million worth of those shares to the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.